News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. All right, let's talk about the Canadian labor market. We're looking ahead now to 2021. I think everybody is because we want to turn the page on what happened in 2020. Lots to look forward to. Uh, Economist Brenda Bernard has written a great piece on it for the Indeed Hiring Lab, and he joins us now to talk about what the numbers are saying. Good morning, Brendan. Thanks for having me. So what are the numbers saying? Do we have something to look forward to in 2021? Please say yes. Um, I I think so. Uh, Just like with the vaccine coming, there's light at the end of the tunnel, but we don't know exactly when that's going to arrive. When you look at the Canadian employment figures, you see there's still a substantial gap between where we are now and where we entered this crisis at. And a large portion of that gap is concentrated in pandemic-exposed sectors. So accommodation and food service is a big one, the biggest. Um, but also uh, culture and recreation um, really stands out. And, and this winter, I think we'll see some other areas of the economy potentially taking steps back as uh, people hunker down and uh, restrictions are put in place. But the thing is, with a lot of these areas, once it's safe to for customers to return and people to get back to their what we used to think of as normal lives, I think a lot of these areas are going to see a pretty nice bounce back. We don't know if it's going to be all the way back to what it was before, at least definitely not initially, but there's going to be a nice tailwind there, and that's going to help a lot of the people who are currently struggling in the labor market. What kind of industries do you think you could single out for something like that? You know, even this summer, uh, we saw at least some Canadians were itching to go dining. Uh, You know, you could see it in the patios. um, uh, You could see it in uh, 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 restaurant reservation numbers. There, I, I think this is an area of the economy, you know, it's just something we enjoy to do. Um, same with going to the gym, uh, say, say, same with, uh, uh, you know, tra- travel. Um, and, and these are the, all, all the things we like to do for fun have been, uh, have been crushed by the pandemic. But you know what, uh, if, as long as it ends, Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to uh, these these areas of the economy are going to come back in some shape or form, and that's going to be a nice boost to the job market. Well, that's the tricky part, right? Some shape or form. Do you think right now a lot of it is also being sustained by the government supports that we've had? Uh, so, I, I think so, in the sense that uh, there are probably a lot of businesses on pause right now, can't really operate uh, or uh, to, to to anywhere uh, normal degrees but kind of holding on uh, with the help of government supports um, to at least hopefully get through this winter uh, and, uh, and on, out on the other side. If you look at, for example, um, the hard-hit accommodation and food service, really high share of workers who are still employed in that um, sector are having their wages supported by the government's wage subsidy. Um, and... Uh, and, and, and so that's that's an area that that's a kind of policy where you know um, helps uh, put things on ice for the time being. Where you know um, uh, uh, you know uh, there, it might we these uh, these activities can't really get back to normal in earnest, but um, but there's there's a lifeline that's kind of uh, 
prolonging uh, uh, some businesses from uh, right. uh, uh, falling off before uh, it's too late. But, but it sounds like, though, Brennan, that we have a lot of work ahead. Like, we're all looking forward to getting back to, like, quote-unquote normal but we don't know what that normal is anymore. Like we can't just go back to the way things were a year ago. Yeah. You know, and I I think there's some areas of the economy where, um, uh, the, uh, the potential for more, uh, structural transformative change is greater. Uh, so, so, so a big one, uh, there is remote work, um, where we've seen Canadians, um, uh, shift uh, basically in March, uh, almost instantly from going to the office to working yeah. from home. And, uh, and, and that, that's probably going to come down a bit. Uh, it, it has already come down somewhat, uh, but, but probably come down a bit further as offices are safe to return to. But I don't think it's going to come down to where it was pre-crisis. And that mean, that, that, that's a change to the labor market. That means fewer people needed to help keep the workplace humming. And that's both within the office. So, uh, you know, p- p- potentially uh, like office workers and um, cleaning and sanitation and administrative workers within the office, but also the support services around that, be it the uh, lunch counters um, uh, d- downstairs in the in the office lobby or even in public transportation for people to get to work. And, and, and so these are some of the areas where um, uh, com- coming out of the crisis, we don't know exactly um how how the long term uh, mm-hmm. change ch- changes will play out? Right. So we still so there's some things to look forward to. It sounds like then, Brendan, but we have to be cautious as well. I think so. I think so. I think there's. I think there's. Uh, the the end of the pandemic is going to be a nice boost, and it's also going to help us get a sense of what are some of the full long-term changes. We really don't know how many workers are going to come back to the office because it's not safe to do so. It's the kind of thing that we can only really see happen once this fog of this public health crisis finally lifts. Yeah, fog, that's a good way to put it. Brendan, thank you. Thanks for having me. And have a good holiday. That's Brendan Bernard, an economist with Indeed.ca, looking ahead to the labor market in 2021. We talk about returning to normal, but what is that anymore, right? Some industries have been so changed by what has happened. Some of our habits have been so changed by what has happened over the last year. It doesn't mean that we can just go back to the way things were, you know, in late 2019 or even early 2020. Uh, So something else to wait for in 2021. This is Mornings with Simi. Oh, and on this Friday morning with a wind warning in effect for us, let's check out how Nikki Reitmeyer is doing. Good morning, Nikki. Good morning, Simi. I heard an interesting story the other day. So remember that octopus that was at the uh, Shaw Center for the Salish Sea in Sydney? Yes. Try saying that five times fast. The Shaw Center. <laughs> Center for the, the Salish Sid- Sea. Sydney's Shaw Center for the Salish Sea. S- she sells seashells she sells by, by the, the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore. Um, anyways, at the the Sydney's Shaw Center for the Salish Sea, they had an octopus there that they were caring for about six months ago. He came into their care, and they named him after Doctor Bonnie Henry. Oh, right. At, at first, they didn't realize that the octopus was a male, so then they just started calling him Henry. But they said he's got three hearts. He, he's a he's a smart creature, and we're going to thus name him after Doctor Bonnie Henry. So Henry, who's been there for the past six months or so, 
finally was just released back into the wild again. Aw, adorable. Yeah, there's a great video I mean, online that you can it watch. It is an octopus, though. No, no, it is adorable. <laughs> so <laughs> I I watched this show on Netflix. You watched My Octopus day. Teacher, didn't you? So good. Have mm-hmm. you seen it? No, but I've heard a lot about it. I'm not a huge fan of um, you know, an octopus in particular, but I've heard octopi? nothing. But, yeah, I was going to say octopi, but it's done. It's done. Make it singular. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm thinking about it seriously. Watching the show because so many people have said good things. But I just finished watching the whole that four episode docu series on the Yorkshire Ripper. So maybe I need something a little oh. bit more uplifting. Yes, and my octopus teacher is certainly much more uplifting. It gives you a glimpse of how intelligent these creatures are how fascinating these creatures are. They're really, really cool. And you also get a glimpse into how playful they are, how caring they can be. And this man who's who's diving in South Africa with this, this octopus each day who he meets in the wild forms this incredible relationship with her. And it follows her life as he visits her day after day after day for, I think it's something like nearly a hundred and something or 300 and something days. He continues to visit this octopus and, and you get this incredible glimpse into her life. So if you like nature documentaries with a, a bit of a warm and fuzzy twist, then this is certainly the one for you. It, it really is. It's impressive. I think it's probably going to end up being one of the Oscar movies um, that gets a nod coming up, you know, next next January or so. Right. When we, you know, start Do seeing that movies again. again. I don't even know. When we yeah, I, don't, I don't know when. <laughs> I saw a list now. of the best movies of the year and I was like, what are these? I don't know where these were. Where did these come from? Like what? That would certainly be on the list, though, because I know a lot of people have talked about that. I'm looking forward to watching Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas Day which I hear is going to be available. Uh, I know, that's me. I'm just going to geek out, nerd out on that one. Uh, but good I, for you, though. Well, you know, got to have something Got to have something to look forward to, Nikki. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the, no matter how small it is, that's always my philosophy. Has to be something to look forward to. Well, on that note, Simi, I have a little bit of news. I am looking forward to something come the new year. I am going to be leaving CKNW my new job starts January 1st or January 4th. Wait a minute. You're looking forward to leaving us? Is that what you're just well, telling us? <laughs> That's what you no, just said. What, are we that bad? New opportunities. No, you know I'm still going to be waking up at some ungodly hour in the morning so I can hang out with you guys and send you text messages and listen to the show. I love working with you guys. Uh, but I, I had a new, a new opportunity in media relations, so I'm going to be pursuing that come the new year. But uh, I'm really going to miss working with all you guys. You know, it's not going to be as fun as the fun that you have here, Nikki. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I, I know. I know. We, we honestly, we do. So behind the scenes, which listeners may not know, we have so many laughs and we really, really do have a great time. I I love waking up with you guys every single morning. It's been so much fun working with you and it's been interesting listening to the show and learning what we do on the show. And it's going to be, it's going to be a different opportunity, but I'm really going to miss where I'm at now. And I took this job because it was a good, a good opportunity, but not because I was wanting to leave. So not because there's one of us that you really don't like, like say our producer, Victor. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, 
Don't tell Victor. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, I'm no, we kidding. Love, we love Victor. We, we also love, love to pick on Victor. That's why we, we say that. So no, See, I'm. This, it's that that I'm going to miss. <laughs> <laughs> How harsh we are, right? People, and, you know, you're right about that because so many people have asked me this year in particular. How are you guys able to continue doing your job? Like the news is so depressing. It's so hard this year. It's been so challenging. And I said, you know what? We genuinely have like we enjoy each other's company, and we everybody has a great sense of humor. So yes, we are going to miss you. And the reason why we're doing this today as well is because I think this is your last day on our show, right? It is. So, well, kind of-ish because uh, Victor is going to be going on vacation next week. So then I'm, I'm going to take week. over booking guests. Oh, that's right. You're away next week. And so Jill, I believe, is going to be filling, filling in. Yeah next week. And then the week after Christmas, I'm going to be filling in for Jill on her show. So this is the last day that we are all together as a group. Uh, you're gone, Aww. Victor's gone. And then I'll back when you guys are together again after Christmas, I'm going to be gone uh, working in the afternoons on, on Jill's show. So Nikki, uh, our producer, Greg Shot will be here the whole time. Allow but. me to say mornings will not be the same without you. We will miss you terribly. Oh, thanks, Simmy. You're going to make it hard to leave. Good. Okay. That's what, that's what I want to hear. Uh, thank you for that, Nikki. This is Mornings with Simmy. Hey, don't forget, we've got our big giveaway coming up, oh, in about 20 minutes time or so. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But another interesting story that we are watching today, BC's Office of the Human Rights Commissioner is launching a public campaign wanting to clarify mask exemptions. We know masks are mandatory in indoor public spaces all over the province, but many people are being refused service even though they have medical notes for an exemption. Now, a story earlier this week that you may have heard about was when the retailer Indigo faced criticism, uh, they said, for harassing a Paralympian and an autistic child for not wearing masks. That was two separate incidents. Meanwhile, Global News reporter Claudia Van Emmerich spoke with an Okanagan senior who qualifies for an exemption, and he shared the difficulty that is faced by people like him. Please be advised that Mr. Medill has severe lung disease. David Medill is reading a note from his doctor, exempting the West Kelowna man from wearing a mask. The 76-year-old suffers from chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. I can't uh, get enough air in. So anything that obstructs the airway causes me severe distress. So much so that when he did put on a mask at one point a grocery shop, he says he passed out. I had to sit down. I was lightheaded. I had to sit down and I finally passed out. And my wife took the mask away. But despite his medical note, which he carries with him at all times, Medell says he gets hassled and is often refused service, as was the case earlier this week when he tried to get blood work done ahead of a CT scan. They refused to do the blood work because I couldn't wear a mask. I get turned away. David Medill's medical note clearly states that forcing him to wear a mask would cause him to suffer severe respiratory decompensation and would potentially cause him harm. It's, it, it's unbearable. I mean, I can't breathe. 
Middle story is not uncommon, and for that reason, the Office of the Human Rights Commissioner on Thursday launched a new poster awareness campaign clarifying mask exemptions. They include anyone under the age of 12, anyone unable to wear a mask because of a health condition or mental impairment, or anyone who is unable to put on or remove a mask without help from another person. Business is being told that if a person claims to have an exemption, they are to take their word for it, adding that proof should not be required. BC's Human Rights Commissioner Kasari Gavender stating that as BC adopts more extensive mask-wearing protocols, it is important to ensure that the implementation of the mask-wearing mandate does not violate people's human rights, particularly the rights of people with disabilities. Please have a little bit of respect for us. I mean, I mean we're trying our best. As for businesses, they are being reminded they cannot be fined for allowing people inside without masks. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, West Kelowna. This is Mornings with Simi. It is an outcome that people have been waiting for for a long time, whether it was environmental advocates, local Indigenous leaders, just people concerned about open net fish farms, you name it. It has been going on for a long time. And now we hear that open net fish farms are going to be phased out of the Discovery Islands area over the next 18 months. So joining us now to talk about the impact of this decision and what comes next is the former vice president of the Union of BC Indian Chiefs and longtime wild salmon advocate, Bob Chamberlain. Bob, thanks for being back with us. Uh, Good morning, Simi. I'm glad to be back. You must be pretty happy about the decision. Yes, very pleased with the outcome uh, to see the the Department of Fisheries and Oceans prioritize wild salmon in British Columbia. It is such a relief and long overdue. Okay, and what is this phase-out going to look like then? Well, the phase-out is uh, there's going to be no new fish put into the fallow or empty fish farms that are licensed in the Discovery Islands. And the farms that do have fish in them, they're going to be able to grow them out, harvest, and then be done. Okay, so that's pretty definitive then, because, you know, sometimes they make these announcements and you're not sure what this actually means. Yes, very true. Uh, Even though we had, you know, we got word of the announcement coming and what the details sort of looked like, uh, we had some questions for the minister, but she had answered them all in the first few minutes of our dialogue prior to the announcement. Okay, that's good. So, Bob, maybe you could explain to people, why is this area so critical to wild salmon? Well, the, the, the manner in which the water flows there, it's very stratified. So that means there's certain levels that just don't mix. And this is perfect for sea lice and disease pathogens to be hosted in the upper water column where the juvenile salmons out migrate. But it's also recognized by the Department of Fisheries and Oceans as a, a key migratory out-migration route for Fraser River salmon to where they believe that 90% of what leaves the river passes through Discovery Islands. Okay, so very critical. How long has this fight been going on, though, against these open net fish farms there? Oh, gosh, it's uh, pretty much since they arrived back in the 80s. I know where I'm from, the Broughton Archipelago, there's been staunch opposition all the way through. And uh, it's it's really uh, a relief to see the department make the proper decision in terms of its primary responsibility of safeguarding the environment and wild salmon. And what kind of an impact do you think these these fish farms did have since they have been there? I believe they have a very significant impact, uh, not only on Fraser stocks, but other stocks. Like I had the good fortune of working with the leadership of Tla'aman Nation, uh, Clahoos First Nation and Homalco, and they were very steadfast in their opposition and demonstrated great leadership. 
to ensure that the river systems of their territories no longer are going to be exposed to this level of impact to uh, ever-diminishing stocks. What does this say to us, do you think, about the future of just that kind of open net farming, fish farming in B.C.? Well, to answer that question, we need to turn and look what's happening uh, globally, because there is a large push around the world for land-based closed containment. And this is something that's happening in Europe, it's happening in the United States, and uh, it needs to be a focus of economic development here in Canada, or we're just simply going to lose the market share that has been created. And when that happens, we're going to go by the way of the dinosaur in terms of this industry. Yeah, what's taken us so long to develop that? Because I feel like we've been talking about land-based closed containment fish farming for, well, decades. Well, I believe if the government keeps engaging in getting information from ones that enjoy open net cage fish farms, um, you'll always get the same answer. Oh, it's too expensive. We can't make that transition. And yet that transition is happening around the world. So if BC and Canada wants to remain uh, a part of this industry going forward, we must invest in land-based closed containment. And the opportunity for economic development gets uh, spread out broader than uh, the coastal uh, communities of British Columbia. All right. So then this sounds like a a pretty good day then. I am very pleased with the outcome to know that, uh, like I mentioned, the DFO has uh, made a decision that actually favors wild salmon. And, you know, I'm mindful of uh, Premier Horgan's commitment for 42 million more additional dollars for habitat rehabilitation. And certainly we put it to the Minister of DFO that uh, it would be wonderful if DFO stepped up and contributed more long-term sustainable funding so we can get on with the substantial work of rehabilitating and rebuilding the salmon stocks of British Columbia. I have to say, though, Bob, it's not every day that we have people on who tell us they're happy with something the DFO did. Well, trust me, it's kind of a, a, an awkward situation for myself because <laughs> I've, uh, as a First Nation leader previously, and then, you know, the disappointments that we face with this particular department, um, it was kind of funny when we were putting together the press release, like, how do you write one that's complimentary? <laughs> usually usually it, it's very critical and disappointed, and, uh, and yet here we face a decision where, uh, through the consultation, there is actually full accommodation for First Nations Aboriginal rights, and that's... Um, I'm thinking I can't remember another time where that's actually happened. So I'm hoping that this is actually a step towards uh, implementing the United Nations Declaration of Rights Indigenous People. We did advance that on behalf of Homolko First Nation, Tla'am and, and Klahus, because the provincial government implemented it in the Broughton Archipelago. It was a plug-and-play option, but DFO chose to go down the road of consultation instead. Well, still, it's, there's a first time for everything, I guess, Bob. Thank you so much for your time. Yes, thank you very much. That's Bob Chamberlain. He's a big advocate for wild salmon, as you can hear, and former vice president of the Union of BC Indian Chiefs. And you know what? It's true. It's not every day that we say something complimentary about something that has happened with the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. But here we are. People are very happy about this decision that open net fish farms are going to be phased out of the Discovery Islands area over the next 18 months. And I know people out there are quite pleased with that. This is Mornings with Simi. So we got that fiscal update yesterday from the Provincial Finance Minister, Selena Robinson. And in it, one of the key focus was also about the hotel and tourism industries. And we heard that it might take years for those industries to recover from everything that has gone on in this past year. The thing is, we've recovered most of the 400,000 jobs that we've lost back in the spring, but the majority of those remaining job losses are in the industries that will continue to struggle into 2021. 
Let's talk about that. Joining us now is Ingrid Jarrett, President and CEO of the BC Hotel Association. Ingrid, thank you for being back with us. Good morning. Thank you. Did you hear anything yesterday in the fiscal update that would provide, do you think, encouragement or support to your industry? Well, no. Uh, You know, I think the reality is that uh, we, you know, the hospitality and tourism industry certainly uh, were understood to be the first hit, the hardest hit, and certainly uh, most likely the last to recover. There has been very serious challenges for the industry, especially the hotel sector, to access both federal and provincial relief measures. Mm-hmm. I do know that since the election, uh, we've been able to work uh, very closely with the Minister of Jobs and the Minister of Tourism to ensure that they keenly understand what the impact of this is on our industry. But with the travel restrictions and the recommendations to stay close to home, Uh, restrictions on meetings and events, uh, certainly no plan in the foreseeable future about reopening. You know, we're looking at single digits in our urban centres. Our winter destinations, who were hoping that they were able to have a a great winter season, are now looking at 15% or 10% or 18% occupancy. And, you know, none of the fixed costs have gone away. So it's a very serious circumstance. I, without overstating it, I would suggest that our industry is in crisis. Our last pulse check indicates that if there are not relief measures that are actually the money in the hand of the business owners uh, in the first quarter of 2021, we'll lose about 40% of our industry. Oh, man. What does that mean, though, when you say money in the hand? Is that like federal government support, provincial support? What is it? Well, it's yeah, Simi, it's both. So, you know, we have relief measures, but the money isn't flowing. And most of the relief measures, both federally and provincially, there is enormous restrictions on eligibility for our industry. For example, uh, any large business is not eligible for anything provincially. Yet those large businesses that are very often in the urban centres, they actually employ the most number of people as well. So those job loss numbers, and for the hotel sector, we're looking at about 34,000 people that are still laid off. You know, if we lose 40% of the industry, and that is everything from remote lodges to urban hotels and everything in between, you know, the whole landscape of travel, tourism, and the economy in British Columbia will be impacted. Does the vaccine give you any hope for 2021? Well, I think we're all, you know, delighted that, uh, you know, that there's sort of this glimmer of uh, light on the horizon with the vaccine. But we need a strategic plan. We need rapid testing. We need to say, if this, then that. You know, if there's no cases in hotels for a certain period of time, which I can tell you for 10 months, We have been working hand-in-hand with our Ministry of Health. We're seen as leading uh, organizations that, when we look at health and safety, they're outstanding. And that really looks at on a world scale. And Canada really has done a great, great job of that. And in British Columbia, I'm very, very proud of our hoteliers and what they've been able to deliver, make sure that safe shelter is provided. So, you know, not having any business is is nothing to do with health and safety. It's having to do with all of those markets being closed off. So we need a plan to look at, you know, keeping health and safety of our public, our employees, and everybody that comes and goes from a hotel. 
But in the same breath, we need a business plan so that we can get back to work, people can be rehired, and we can make sure that we operate moving forward and try to save these businesses. We know that the task force came out with the plan and called for more financial support from the provincial government. Where is that at right now? Have you heard anything? Um, I have, and we've met several times with the ministers, and I know that our uh, Minister Mark is working hard on our behalf, and they are in the legislature this week. Our hope is that those recommendations will be passed this week and that money will flow early in the new year. But, you know, we've had, and the other one is the small and medium-sized business uh, loan. Mm -hmm. We're not seeing that money flowing. And uh, it's federal relief measures are the same thing. We have a new one for a relief measure for the hardest hit businesses, but that money isn't flowing either. So there's been lots of announcements, but when it comes right down to these businesses going to their bankers, there is no money to access. So that's really what we need to do is make sure that in the early in the new year, we're able to keep these businesses in business so that they can recover when it's time to recover the industry next year. Right. That is the most frustrating thing, though, that it seems like from what I've heard is that the money is there, the supports are there, but the money isn't flowing for some reason. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Is there any hope that that could, if that gets flowing then, the money that's already been talked about and discussed, if that gets flowing, will that make the difference in, in helping to save the industry, do you think? Well, no. I mean, the amount of money that will flow provincially is is just, nowhere near enough when we look at the impact. In our pulse check, we have 48% of hotels in the uh, province that have lost between half a million and $5 million. Now, these are small and medium-sized businesses that have had to put personal guarantees and gone to their banks, and they've now got increased debt. And so the plan around reopening and regenerating this portion of our economy is going to be critically important. They, if the money flows in the first quarter, that will probably go to debt mm-hmm. because there's been no relief for fixed costs whatsoever. So, you know, it doesn't help to just keep getting more debt and not having any revenue come in the door. Right. Well, Ingrid, thank you for joining us to talk about it this morning. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, and hopefully next time we talk, it'll be on a more positive note. That is Ingrid Jarrett, President and CEO of the BC Hotel Association. Uh, they are still in tough, of course, the tourism, hotel industries, uh, looking for help. Money that has been promised, but still has not flowed to them just to get them through these next few months. We were talking about travel, wondering if you're, you know, are you already planning your next trip now that the vaccine seems to be on its way? It'll still be late in, you know, 2021 before a lot of us get that shot. But are you ready to start traveling again? Is that on your mind? You can email me, simi at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. Now, if you're looking for something to do, perhaps this evening or any time over the holiday season, we might just have the ticket for you. A local ballet studio has produced a film adaptation of Tchaikovsky's iconic Nutcracker, which for so many people and so many families is the thing that you have to watch during the holiday season. And the good news is it premieres online tonight. Let's find out more about it. The founder of Go Ballet and former principal dancer for the National Ballet of Canada, Chan Hongo, joins us now with more. Good morning and thank you for being here. Hello, Sumi. It's such a pleasure. Tell me about this. How did this happen? Oh, 
My goodness. Oh, we had such a terrific journey. Um, this process was amazing for the dance, dancers and all the creative team. We started uh, in August. Yes, as late as August, if wow. you can believe it, because we were really holding out with um, optimistic hopes that the theaters would open and that we would be able to present live, as we usually do. This is our 12th year of presenting The Nutcracker. Um, and sadly, we we had to make a decision, and we knew that um, it would be the most responsible thing to do um, to shift and to present virtually. Now, what people might think is, you know, they're going to get uh, the Nutcracker from Curtain Up. It's really not mm-hmm. the Nutcracker from the Curtain Up. It's our own original story, and that's why I'm so proud to um, share this with you and your listeners. Um, we've uh, created an original st- screenplay which reflects the journey that dancers are going through um, during this COVID time and their struggles, their um, uncertainties, uh, their doubts and fears. And then we tie it to the magical, traditional nostalgia of Nutcracker because uh, as many people know, dancers grow up through the ranks of the Nutcracker, be it yeah. in a school environment or in a professional company. So to go a year without is a big deal. It's it's a big loss. And um, so uh, I'm so excited. There's so much for me to share. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's lovely because I would imagine that it's been such a difficult time, right, for dancers, but yes. must also be a time of creativity. Yes, you know, all of us feel that for it not being um, such an odd year, um, we would not have this opportunity to produce a virtual rendition and and to bring it to um, the platform of, of a short film. So um, that part of it and the amazing learning and collaborative element behind shooting this film um, was really uplifting. Um, And we really hope that, you know, it's going to be that ray of sunshine and and provide um, hope and festive cheer. This will be lovely. So how can people access it? Yes, so it's uh, completely free um, with uh, our Thanks to our sponsors at Rob, RBC Royal Bank, um, we're able to offer it free to everybody, and we hope that everybody will log on to our website and access the link. It's gonutcracker.com. That's G-O-H, nutcracker.com, just for people out there who are listening. This must be very difficult as well for, for just dancers because you can't get that close to each other. I mean, that's that's just a part of the whole form, right? Yes. It, the, the challenges around that and even throughout the rehearsal period um, – you know, we had to separate and rehearse in sections, you know, and then it didn't really come together until we were on a big stage. Um, it's a much reduced cast this year. Usually we have over 250 dancers, but this year we did the whole thing, which is 50 dancers and pretty much in just sections. And I guess that's uh, through the magic of film, you're able to capture things and edit mm-hmm. and produce. And so that was very interesting for us. Um, we really wanted to recreate all the iconic scenes, um, such as the, the beautiful snow scene or the waltz of the flowers. Mm. Um, and then um, the 
the story behind it is, you know, this this dancer um, taking him through, um, you know, what right. he was going through the audition process. So you get really an oh. insight into the ballet world. Well, that is fascinating. I hope lots of people check it out. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me and happy holidays to you. And the same to you. That is Chan Hong Go, founder of the Go Ballet and former principal dancer for the National Ballet of Canada. Boy, they're trying something different this year and you should check it out. So you go online to gonutcracker.com. That's G-O-H nutcracker.com. And they are doing their version, their filmed version of the Nutcracker. A little bit of a different experience for them this year, but they certainly would like to share it with everyone. So check that out online. It premieres today and you can still make it part of your holiday experience. This is Mornings with Simi. All right, let's talk about our healthcare system. One of the reasons why I think for a lot of us, we are so careful about what we do, where we go, and you know how we're protecting ourselves is because we're trying to protect the healthcare system too. And the ways in which we were doing that way back earlier in 2020 is with that seven o'clock cheer for frontline healthcare workers, just to let those workers know that we appreciate all the work and you know the, the tough times that they are going through here too. So now that we're entering the holiday season here and we're well into it, there's a new idea for how we can show our appreciation. Rory Richards joins us now, a West End resident who started that seven o'clock cheer, and she's hoping that there's a new ritual that will catch on. Rory, thanks for being here. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. I have to ask you, so back when the original seven o'clock cheer started and you saw the way that took off, did you ever think it would become that big? No, I, I, you know, I, I didn't like, I saw it happening in other parts of the world and I thought, wouldn't it be great to, to start that here? And, you know, the West End is such a densely populated area. And so I just put it out to, to a few neighbors and, um, well, the rest, we all know what happened there. Yeah, history. (laughs) It was history. Uh, So what is this idea? What is for this new uh, kind of virtual cheer? What is this new idea? Well, you know, there's been there's been talk and people have been sort of poking me like what happened to the cheer, you know, the cases are uh, the case counts are as high as they've ever been. It's so dark, it's so rainy outside like mm-hmm. we need to bring back the 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 cheer. Um and then I was contacted by um Vancouver Coastal Health and they were thinking the same thing. They said, you know, our workers morale are is really really low and the cheer meant so much to them can we bring back the cheer and and maybe put a different spin on it for for winter and that's where the the idea came to you know have the regular cheer but also use light Hmm. um in these dark days so how would we do that well, it's seven o'clock. You would um, go to your window and either with your cell phone or a flashlight or um, headlamp, whatever you got, and just you know share some light so so your neighbors and and everyone outside can see. Yeah, because it's pretty dark right now. It's seven o'clock at night out there. So you want everybody to see kind of what else has been going on, so that everybody's at their window, and you we know we get that feeling once again that we're kind of all in this together. Exactly. Do you think that, we are? Yeah, we, we really, really are. But do you feel like maybe perhaps people have forgotten that, or we're not as good at remembering that? Well, it can take on so many, so many meanings, right? It's like obviously 
that it's taken the toll on every single one of us in in different ways, but it's a collective experience. But we're also in this together in terms of how responsible we are um, in wearing our masks and following protocols because, you know, um, if any one of us slips, it could affect the health of somebody else. Okay, so remind us again then, Rory, what what do you think people should be doing at 7 o'clock? At 7 o'clock, go to your windows or your balcony or your front door and share the light, whatever light you have. It's a flashlight, um, you have Christmas lights outside, um, your cell phone light, and you can cheer, but also just share the light. You can post videos and photos of yourself doing this with the hashtag um, share the light and hashtag 7 p.m. cheer so that those frontline workers and healthcare workers can can see this ritual and also take comfort in it. Right, because they really need that again, don't they? They really do. They really, really do. Okay, Rory, thank you for that. A pleasure. Have a good day. That is Rory Richards. She's a West End resident who started that 7 o'clock cheer way back when, it feels like, and now the new idea is to shine a light essentially. Go to your front window at seven o'clock at night when it's pretty dark out there. Use your cell phone, flashlight, whatever, and show some light to your neighbors so that everybody can see that there's a lot of support for those frontline healthcare workers out there. And as Rory and I were saying, boy, they really need it right now. They need to know that they are supported.